Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the feral cat edition. This week, we're explaining why misinformation might be derailing renewable energy projects, why a guy running to be county commissioner thinks Licking County should let folks shoot feral cats, how a comment about rape and abortion made national news, and Secretary of State Frank LaRose's political tightrope on election integrity. Joining me this week is reporter Titus Wu. Welcome back to the show, Titus. Great to be here. So let's get started with a story about how misinformation might be behind all the anger in Crawford County. So I'm going to set the scene for you. Crawford County, it has about 45,000 people in northern Ohio, lots of farm, lots of Trump supporters. About 75 percent of voters picked the former president in the last election. Well, a wind power company called Apex wants to use some of that farmland for about 60 turbines to generate wind energy. They're going to be really big windmills, though. We're talking 600 feet tall. And a bunch of folks don't want to look out their backyard windows and see a 600-foot wind turbine. Totally fair. They say the money the county could earn isn't worth the blight they will cause on the landscape. But things have taken a bit of a turn out there with opponents harassing Apex employees, the children of farmers who have signed leases, and supporters of the Honey Creek Wind Project say that they think misinformation is what's behind this. Like, basically, people are furious because they think these wind turbines are going to be more than unsightly. They think they're going to, like, cause cancer or miscarriages or meltdowns in children. Children on the autism spectrum. Yeah, it seems. I mean, there's definitely a lot of you know legitimate reasons to not want to have wood turbine next oh, year. Oh yeah. You know, in terms of noise potentially, in terms of just you know, like I said, the sites, in terms of you know what it could do to your land value, whatnot. But yeah, I mean, you choose to live out in the country for a reason, and you know, you 600 feet is really tall. It's like taller than the Statue of Liberty. So I mean, these are big structures. They'll be visible at a distance, and I get why you might not want that in your landscape, but. It is different if you think that your neighbor is going to profit off something that irritates you versus you think your neighbor is going to profit off something that gives you cancer. I'm curious, you know, do you know if this is, you know, a kind of a trend happening, not just in, you know, Crawford County, but elsewhere in rural Ohio? Yeah, um, it happened in Van Wert and Seneca County. They actually blocked wind projects out there. Um, Ohio has a new law that lets county commissioners vote to exclude wind and solar projects. So you can just say, like, you can't build them either in this part of the county or in the whole county. So, yeah, this this question is coming up a lot. It's also coming a lot up a lot in western New York and in other states where wind power or wind turbines are going in. It's sort of like a national pushback mm-hmm. on wind power. And it's just sort of a question about whether misinformation is playing a role in this pushback against wind power. Yeah, I'm curious to see if kind of any of these kind of, I mean, maybe there has been legislation you're aware of, and maybe you could you, you can enlighten me on it. <laughs> uh, if this pushback, you know, if it gets strong enough to the point where we could see legislation actually in the state house kind of to that effect, if you get what I mean. Well, that's a little bit what Senate Bill 52 did. So Senate Bill, so wind and solar projects used to have to go through like the power siting board. Local governments didn't actually have the local control that they have now to vote to ban these projects. And the restrictions weren't given to oil and gas. So county commissioners can't create these quote, like exclusion zones for oil and gas projects, Mm. but they can do it for wind and solar projects. And that was a whole other debate that happened when the legislation passed. But I don't know. We'll see how it plays out, especially as like, I mean, whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, like President Biden has talked about a goal to move towards more renewable energy as part of the nation's like electric grid. Mm -hmm. 
So our second topic is feral cats. And I can honestly say that I never thought this would be a topic on the podcast, but here we are. So Licking County has a problem with wild cats. One group working to spay and neuter them estimated that the county has about 130 feral cat colonies. I mean, like, it's a lot of cats. And this is obviously an issue, and it came up at a voter forum for county commissioner this week. So this guy, Bill Hayes, he's a Republican who wants to be their next county commissioner, and he got the question, like, what should we do about these cats? And, well, basically he said, shoot them. (laughs) Here's his quote. He said, this won't be popular, but we have a squirrel season, various seasons. It would seem to me that if you've got an animal that's not a pet for anybody, you gotta do what you gotta do. I like how he said in in, in in the first part of the quote, this won't be popular, but anyway, I'm gonna continue saying it. (laughs) But yes, perhaps we should shoot them. Um, You know, there's a lot of push, I guess, out there to like spay and neuter the animals to try and like decrease the population, but I don't know. I was like 130 cat colonies. Like how many feral cats is, I mean, I guess it's a big enough problem that like the newspaper out there has been writing about the issue over and over again. But I don't know. It's, it's hard because like cats are domesticated pets. So the thought of just like going out and hunting them feels a little strange. I wonder if they're fast enough to avoid that. No, I think, no, you can hunt like cougars and stuff out west. So I I assume you could. Oh, by the way, Anna's Anna's a hunter, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not of cats. I do not hunt cats. Like, I want to make that very clear. No, I hunt deer. But yeah, because like, that's the thing. You're not going to, like, people who hunt squirrels, there are people who eat squirrel. And I guess there are people in the world who eat cats. And it's just weird to us because for us, they're domesticated animals. But I don't know. What do you, that was the other question I had that was not addressed in the article, which is like, what are you going to do with all the cats once you've shot them? I don't know. Lots of questions, which is why, like, I think the story is doing so well online. I think people are like, how, what, and who now? But that was his idea. Like, let's hunt them. So our next up is a comment made by a Southwest Ohio lawmaker about abortion. But before we get into it, I just want to put a quick content warning out there that we're going to discuss rape and specifically the rape of a child. So if that's not something that you want to listen to, scroll on to the fourth topic. So next up is a comment made by a Southwest Ohio lawmaker about abortion. So Representative Jean Schmidt testified this week on her bill to ban all abortions in Ohio the moment Roe versus Wade gets overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, if that happens this summer, the idea is the law would be ready, passed, signed, go into effect. So a Democrat on the committee asked her whether she would force rape victims, specifically 13-year-old rape victims, to carry pregnancies to term. So Schmidt acknowledged that those cases are sad and scarring and can have lifelong impacts for the victims. But then she said something that ended up being pretty controversial. And rather than paraphrase, I'm just I'm just going to read her comment. So she said, it's a shame that it happens, but there is an opportunity for that woman, no matter how young or old she is, to make a determination about what she's going to do to help that life become a productive human being. And it's the word opportunity that opponents have really latched onto, saying like it's Democrats and, you know, abortion access groups across the country have said it's wildly inappropriate and frankly, like wrong to call like a pregnancy resulting from a rape an opportunity. I mean, but to be fair, you know, it's I mean, not that I'm, you know, taking a right, right, yeah. on this issue or not. But to be fair, you know, it, it was kind of like, I mean, the, the intent behind what uh, Representative Smith was saying was just that, you know, like when life throws bad things at you, right, you try to kind of, you know, make the best of it. Exactly. Yeah. Make the best of it and turn it into something powerful. And I mean, I, I've heard stories, too, of, you know, you know, women who who decided, you know, and, and not not to undergo abortion. And they're now grateful that they have the child. I mean, who wouldn't be great? Yeah. You know, so I understand, you know, where she's coming from. It's just kind of made the wording 
the word. Yeah. And it's also that like, I think this is one of the most difficult questions and arguably these are rare cases, but like the, the sexual assault of a child is a very difficult topic. And especially somebody as young as 13, who arguably this was probably their first sexual encounter. And now they're pregnant before they really understood what this kind of activity was. Like that is worst case, worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, I, I think it's always a really difficult situation, but that is one of the hard parts of these abortion bills, because even if you are say more on the pro-life side, like looking at a 13 year old girl and asking her to carry a pregnancy, she doesn't want to term in this circumstance is really challenging. And, you know, there are some abortion bans that make exceptions for rape and incest. And Ohio is just not one of those states. And it's a really difficult question. And I absolutely like, I don't know, I feel like I think that's just like a really difficult life choice. But specifically, you know, kind of on that, you know, what this whole quote was about was kind of about that, um, that rape or incest exception. Yeah. And um, whether that should be included in legislation. Do you, do you think that's probably still likely to be included? I don't think so, because the heartbeat bill that passed in Ohio didn't have one of those. Um, the only exception that Ohio Republicans seem open to is life of the mother. So if it looks like mom's going to die, they will make an exception in those cases. But again, you know, it really depends. Like I've met people who are pro-life except for rape, incest and life of the mother, because the argument there is, you know, the woman didn't have a choice in the conception of that child. Like there was no willful act. But I don't know. I guess we're going to just kind of have to see how it goes and wait on the Supreme Court to make its decision. So our fourth and final topic is Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. So LaRose will tell you that he's super proud of how Ohio ran the 2020 election. Voter fraud was negligible. We had accurate results fast. Like Ohio was basically an example of how to do it right. But he has a tightrope to walk because his party, um, lots of folks still think Donald Trump like won the 2020 election and it was stolen from him. That is not accurate, but that's what members of the GOP believe. So he has to have this like balancing act between mean like Ohio did it great, but maybe other states did not. I mean, obviously, you know, some of our past coverage of, of, of stories from my colleagues you know, talk about how he's potentially angling for, you know, taking, you know, U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown's seat. Yeah, um, in 2024. And he was at the Donald Trump rally in Delaware this weekend. He got his endorsement. Like, yeah, he's definitely trying to appeal to that part of the Republican Party. Although I also don't know necessarily, and this is just kind of me speaking off cuff, if if the Trump, you know, him, him, him trying to, you know, kind of cater more towards Trump, which I mean, yes, it's, it's politically smart to do it based on kind of the, the laying of the, 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 uh, the electorate out there. But also, I don't know how much it really convinces people that, yeah, you know, yeah, LaRose is on our side for, you know, for those people who are doubting the, you know, the 2020 election results, because I saw, you know, after, after, you know, he announced his endorsement, there were still some conservatives, you know, skeptical of the election who still do not trust LaRose. And that's kind of the same issue playing out with J.D. Vance right now and his, his endorsement from Trump. Yeah, that's true. There are some folks out there who think Donald Trump won Ohio by more than eight points. And LaRose has been pretty adamant that he thinks the results that Ohio got were accurate. And one more thing before you go. So we made a little bit of a mistake on our special primary election edition of OPE, and I would like to correct that oversight. So uh, we low-key forgot to talk about the primary races for Ohio's 15 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. So let's do that right now. You know, there are there are 15 seats um, that's down from 16, and there's a couple of them that are going to be really important in the general. So like who's going to win these primary elections is really going to matter. And one of them is in the Northeast Ohio region that Titus covers for us. And that is where Amelia Sykes is running in the Akron area, right? Yep. Yep. Amelia Sykes, uh, she's the former House Minority Leader uh, in the Ohio House. So she's, she's kind of the lone Democrat 
there, there were there were some competitors that they dropped out, but she's right now the lone Democrat, so she's probably going to get she will get the Democrat nomination. On the Republican side, there's there's there are a bunch of candidates. But the one probably most likely getting out of that is the one who actually managed to secure Trump's endorsement, Madison Gisiel Gilbert is yeah. her name. She's like a former Miss Ohio political commentator. So the match will likely between, be between those two. And that seat there, I believe, is kind of tight. I know both both Republicans and Democrats nationally from national groups. They want it. They, they're looking at that as, <laughs> as a competitive seat. Yeah. yeah, they think it's possible that it could be a Democratic pickup. And that'll be important because the race in up in Toledo might be a Democratic loss. So Marcy Kaptur is up there. She's the longest serving member of Ohio's delegation. She's actually been in Congress longer than Titus and I have been alive. So I was kind of born around the time she got into office. If you want to Google that, you'll know how old I am. But yeah, after all that long tenure, uh, her seat has gotten more conservative. It's going to be a probably a good year for Republicans because midterm elections favor the party not in power. And there's a couple of Republicans who are really hoping to be the next uh, representative of that region. Yeah, I think Theresa Gavarone, who's currently a state representative, is one of them. State senator, but state yeah. Senator, my bad. But yeah, there's a couple of people, folks running up there. And I think, you know, the Republicans are really looking at that as a pickup. So who they select for that um, candidacy in the primary race is going to be really important. And I don't like I go back and forth on how competitive the Cincinnati seat is going to be. But it's also possible because that seat has been drawn to be uh, more Democratic than it has previously. But it'll be a good year for Republicans. So I think Shabbat holds on to it. I don't know. It's important for listeners to know, though, that these uh, these current seats that they're competing for are probably very likely temporary because right now. Oh, yeah, they're two year seats. <laughs> yeah. Right now, they're still um whether, you know, when the majority of Republican Ohio legislators kind of drew these congressional maps and you can go read, you know, our colleague Jesse Bummer's work on kind of the whole whole fiasco around this. They're right now still being challenged if they're constitutional or not. It's just that the ruling for this will come after the May primary, which means that they will be in place, you know, next Tuesday. But, you know, after, you know, after this election cycle, will they will they still be representing the same kind of, you know, the same district, the same map, the same area? You know, no one knows. You might have a different congressional <laughs> representative afterward so yeah but we'll, we'll for sure tell you all about that when it happens and if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network like the worcester daily record that's the dash daily dash record.com 